0: Welcome to today's episode of CLCI Live, brought to you by the award-winning and ICF-accredited school, Certified Life Coach Institute. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode.
1: We are live, everyone. And we welcome you all back to another Tuesday CLCI Live. And today we're gonna to be speaking about um, disattachment from outcomes, and trusting the process. And I think we're going to also be kind of delving a little bit into black and white thinking, and also we'll be integrating some coaching tools that can assist with these concepts. Um, We're excited. I'm excited because I have two amazing coaches joining us today, and uh, we will be uh, proceeding with, again, ways to assist in these spaces I should
2: I should tell you I can't I can't share anything or do it because I haven't signed into Facebook on this computer
1: so okay I am worry. useless
2: I, with regard to comments and things like that at the moment
1: I'll do my best to, to keep up with all that okay oh my, <laughs> as much as I can and by the way I'm Jerome everybody uh forgot to mention that uh, we've been doing so many of these consistently I feel like uh you, you guys all know me but uh if you are new and this is your first time joining us. We do these every Tuesday at four. And again, we do all types of different things. Sometimes it's students. Today we're doing um, in-house, just talking about uh, coaching concepts. And again, excited to go ahead and proceed with this. And I will pass the gavel over on to Lisa so she can go ahead and introduce herself to you guys.
3: Hi there, welcome. Thank you for being here. And I wanna make sure everybody knows four o'clock Pacific time that's going to change no matter where you're living across the country. But we've got some exciting discussion. Some of it is a peep into our level one material. Some of it's a peep into level two material that we're going to be sharing with you. Um, So make sure you ask your questions, comment. Let us know you're watching. Thank you for being here. My name is Lisa. I think I forgot to say that too, Jerome.
2: (laughs) Lisa is a coach. She's a relationship coach and she's an uh, awesome, <laughs> the owner of CLCI. She doesn't like to say it. I'm just going to out her. She owns CLCI and um, she's also like our fairy godmother as well. Um, so Lisa's amazing and Jerome is my right-hand man. He's awesome. (laughs) And I'm Brooke, everybody. Hello. Uh, I am the chief operating officer and also a coach as well, a coach, consultant, and strategist. Um, Mostly, though, I am a a humble observer. (laughs) Um, uh, We today will be talking about not being attached to outcomes, like Jerome said. And I think that that's a little topical. Um, We don't want to delve into the um, uh, the other current events going on at the moment. (laughs) Um, But we thought this might be of value to you guys a little bit. uh, Those of you out there. So, um, do do we want to begin with what with what um, black and gray thinking kind of black and white thinking is and, and that that polarity? Do we want to start with a quiz?
1: I think we absolutely should. That sounds fun. I'm excited well let's
2: talk about
3: first what we mean when we're talking about non-attachment attachment and, and then we can segue into that so when we're talking about attachment we're talking especially about the coach's attachment or not atta- we, we're not supposed to be attached to the outcome but it's helping our clients through their attachments to help them find what they want their expansion to be so and in that attachment there can be healthy attachments, right? We're, we're attached to our kids, our family, many of us, are work. There's unhealthy attachments that don't promote our well-being, or there's old ways of thinking that we want to grow past that don't serve
2: us today. So, also, one of the—I mean—one of the big things that, when you know, we hear from students a lot when we're in class is—is is they feel attached to um, outcomes with regard to their sessions and having a breakthrough with their client or um, having an attachment to what their client is doing and where that's going to take them or which direction they'll, they'll go, right or left, and and the importance of it of not having that attachment when coaching, right? absolutely not not being attached
3: to where the client goes towards i've heard um, some people when when they're learning they go that's not where i wanted them to go Mm, that's kind of that first mistake right it's not about the questions you ask but if you're trying to drive the boat because you're attached to where you want them to go because you want them to be successful all of those notice those words that's what you want our focus is going to be how we as a coach don't become attached to um, what direction they go, but also helping, as I mentioned, those clients with those. Uh, we're going to bring in black, white, gray thinking and share with you some of those concepts. Go ahead.
2: I mean, as a coach, we we want to stay, I mean, pretty firmly in the gray, right? In the in that gray area. It is our instinct as human beings, though, to venture into the polarity, the black and white. Um, There's a couple ways you can identify your or or catch on. Like Lisa was mentioning, like when if you're if you're getting attached to, you know, whether. Let's give a a, an example. So if I'm if I'm a client and I am. I'm trying to decide, or I'm my goal is for the session is to figure out, I don't know, um, if I want to get another cat. examples <laughs> are examples. Of, uh, um, uh, maybe Lisa is attached to me getting a cat. <laughs> she wants me to get one. So happy. I see how
3: happy you are with the cat. <laughs> yeah, now, so I'm trying to sell her what we call on this level two way of conversing. I'm trying to sell her on another cat because I can see how happy the two cats she has um, now make her.
2: Exactly, exactly. So and then, then what'll happen is you start to guide it, the same way. If I'm if I'm a coach and I'm I'm marketing, let's say let's say. Well, I, I would say I wouldn't do that as a marketing. as a, as a um, life coach, you're coaching somebody that's been through the same situation as you. You know, the no. same situation as you. Um, and you have your life experience having gone through that situation. So you, they might choose the, the choice that you didn't choose and you might be inclined to go, ah, don't do that or, <laughs> or the other way, but as a coach, we can't do that. Right.
3: So I think this kind of segues from what we were speaking a little bit from last week with some of the fears and, uh, right. So that's- Well,
2: yeah, yeah. But I think, I mean, last week we were talking about how it was our fears. In this case, yeah. it's projecting that onto our client or- or Wanting to get it right. Yeah, Wanting yes. Make sure mm-hmm. we do our job, working really hard. And go ahead. Um, so if we want, what we can do is there's a couple ways to catch if you're in this space of black and white thinking. And it can be as simple as asking, asking yourself a few questions. So. I'm gonna ask a few questions, um, and you guys respond yes or no. <laughs> now, I think it's also important to note, though, that this can be based in any situation. Like people are different, and they behave differently in every situation they're in. So it might be a value to think in a specific situation, maybe something that you are is causing you stress or causing you concern, or um, and think about that specifically, and then ask yourself this. Um, although some of them are kind of gen- general uh do you tend to see things as all good or all bad you guys yes no no
1: um yes i'm just
2: kidding yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't care that we answer so much because
3: we are so well trained i know i know okay so
2: uh, but are there situations where you do see things as all good or all bad
3: yeah, well, but that would be true. There are some circumstances where it has someone's life and safety and um, the ownership of their being. Yeah, I would definitely see that as a black and white, no gray whatsoever in that kind of position.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's if like, so basically what you're saying is if, if somebody's life is in your hands or, or something along those lines, if you choose to behave recklessly or something, that would be always bad yeah yes yeah uh-huh. yeah um, this is I mean we can get into hot debates with this you know there are there are things where it's like you know is killing always bad is it always good is it you know those things that, that can get, get very divisive um, I'm a firm believer in that there is no such thing as good or bad like um, it is it's a it's matter perspective um, and I've gotten into some serious arguments about that more um, because I, I but that I, again, If you say yes or no, though, that's a sign of black and white thinking, right? Good and bad, right? black and white. And and I'm attached to
3: that concept where I feel like there's times that yes or no, you know, that's appropriate. We're not going to stick there in coaching because we are in that process of helping things expand and process that way.
2: Somebody... I have a question. So with regard to, if I am, if I have personal morals and boundaries and things like that, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and my client is be conducting themselves as somebody that I am not in alignment with, with regard to that, how do you handle that situation as a coach?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I would, um, and I've never actually had to do this, thank goodness. But for me, I have already practiced that having something that as an natural thing for me to say it's beyond my scope of practice and I would upsell probably I'm a therapist direction um mm-hmm. you know I, I work with uh, Mark he's an amazing therapist he has um done a lot of uh, work in this area blah blah blah, blah.
2: I'm mm-hmm. gonna upsell I thought you were giving your client's name Mark and I was like oh for yeah. Mark. <laughs>
3: That's, um, <laughs> that's somebody who I used to refer to until I moved to Colorado. But <laughs> you still could, right? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. These days, because everything is on Zoom, right?
2: <laughs> or something. Um, so here's another one for you. Do you find yourself singularly focused? Are you somebody who focuses on one thing wholly or completely, and will actually let other things sort of fall by the wayside because you're so fixated on a single thing or a single project, a single person, a single, you name it, do you guys
1: ever suffer from that? Not normally, but there are instances where something will take presidency over um, other things that, you know, are happening around me, Uh, but normally, I'm always considering, um, I kind of, I kind of scale these things, you know, sometimes something becomes more important than something that was less important. Uh, a couple days ago, so, um, but sometimes there there are instances where I do hyper-focus on one particular task just to get it done and over with, and then I'm completed.
2: When we get into relationships, like when we start first start a lot of, I think most people in that honeymoon phase, that first, mm-hmm. like you, we can be a little singularly focused, I would think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I've known just about everybody to fall victim to that at some time or another. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lisa?
3: Oh, Definitely when I'm upset, what what the technical term, when I'm in an arousal state, I will have a tendency to be stuck on a loop concept um, for sure. Focusing, I think, is different than necessarily what we're talking about. So I think it's good to be focused and and we all can be really focused really well. Um, It's when it's not in our best interest all of these concepts is when it's not in our best interest
2: that's we're talking about the polarity like we're i mean we're taking it to maybe some extremes and things like that but that's just to really demonstrate the polarity of it um because i mean while yeah i think focus is a good thing as somebody who has adhd i can hyper focus and that can be a bad thing because i will forget to eat i will forget to and it will be eight hours and I stand up and I can, it's like my whole body is, is dead. so um, and that's something you have to catch. So while it can be very productive, it's not healthy. So um, it's always about it's those extremes and, and really maintaining a, a degree of middle ground. Right. Yeah. Um, here's another one. Um, let's see. Do you argue with others about what is right versus wrong?
1: Absolutely not. not.
2: Do you ever do you ever argue? Uh,
1: well, yes, yeah, so yeah, maybe. <laughs> For me, yeah, yeah I'm, I try and stay away I mean, from arguing. There's really
2: no reason to argue if you're not exactly.
1: like, <laughs> arguing um, well, a
2: point, right? <laughs>
1: to, to kind of I mean relate to that. Uh, there uh, to me again, there is no exact right or wrong answer to anything because you you would have to consider a lot of variables that you probably most likely necessarily don't have access to or may never will. So um, I can get upset about something um, because it personally offends me, but I don't ever try and project my personal opinion to the point where I will be considered arguing my point as yes or no. Um, Very rarely is there an occasion where I I couldn't say never because there are instances where yes, something outright to me is wrong. More often than not, I'll walk away from that situation, but if I can't, and or if it involves someone that I feel like should hear the, my perspective and I, I believe that it'll actually benefit them, then again, very rarely I'll go ahead and express my opinion. But if I can see it lead to some type of argumentation, then that's no. I try and consider all, again, all, all on sides of the coin and I, no one really knows exactly what yes and no is, what right and wrong is.
2: Factually speaking, I—I like, I, what's funny is I've gotten in this state of mind where I, I've gone. Well, there are facts, but what are there? Like you know, I can get because I've—I've I've yeah. started to explore this world, and I mean, we, where you can question everything. You know, you can. There's a theory that—that that is that if I'm in this room and I'm not seeing and nothing is seeing, being seen or experienced in the other room, by virtue of that, not nobody experiencing it, it could not exist like <laughs> so um yeah, it's like proverbial tree falling in the forest if it's, you know, exactly yes. exactly yes. so yeah. you can you really are there really i mean pluto was a planet and then it wasn't and then it is right <laughs> so you know you can't have these art i mean you never know because at any minute you could change kind of um and history is something that is told from a very subjective point of view in many ways as well right well I mean, and that's
3: why research becomes a huge important piece and knowing what you're speaking about. And that piece um, can still be tailored to each person's experience and why we, as a coach, aren't trying to be if you will the influencer trying to get our clients to go a certain direction Mm
2: -hmm. and i I, i've just checked out of of trying i mean if i will just let people be wrong i'm just like or be right or be whatever i'm just like no i'm just not going to argue carry on you're (laughs) don't have energy for that um one more question one more um maybe two (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, i think these are both very good so that's why um do you do you think people should meet a certain standard in their lives or, or living or do you have expectations of others
1: do you want to go for that one lisa
2: so i'm thinking of a conversation
3: i've had in the history of me where i say i'm trying not to be attached to the outcome with blah 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 and then I'll have somebody try and convince me how I should be attached to that. Mm. Okay. But clearly, yes, there's going to be circumstances that I I want standards
2: to be met. It mm. was hard too because I mean, like, okay, so in a job, we have got to be very clear. We were very clear about expectations and standards. Really? We it starts to get kind of gray is when you're getting those personal relationships, right? And you want to be this like open and whole person, um, but then the other side of the coin. Is well, I have to have boundaries and standards and set. I've learned some things in my life, and I know what I don't want to deal with. So at that point, you have to kind of be a little rigid or black and white, right?
3: So there's, it's not about never participating with black and white. It's about learning our flexibility and helping the client find whatever it is. Um, and where they want to be friends. where they want to be
2: i think one of the when we were working on level two lisa and i one of the things we have a section that's black and white thinking and black and gray and the way that you explained it or we uh came to it was that as a coach we start we take our clients they start in black and white thinking right we bring them into gray so they can see all the options and then we have them make a decision which is then in turn bringing black to a degree of black and white thinking so you're 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 starting them here, opening them up, and then refining the focus so that then they can proceed um, after having seen the whole picture, right? And then it becomes an
3: experiment. Mm-hmm. So it's ex- experimenting with the new direction, see how that works and flows for you. And then that experiment, if something's not quite right, it's just an experiment we get to adjust and make. Again, then it opens up that conversation.
2: Mm-hmm. And this will bring me into our... Um, The last question, which dovetails beautifully into our next sort of uh, way to talk about this is, do you use absolute terms? Like always, never, forever, um, uh, anything of that regard, (laughs) failure, success, Um, I mean, really at the end of the day, those are absolutes, right? Um, Do you guys use those? I do. Usually when I'm mad.
1: Yes. I was going to yeah, usually in an emotional state. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I
3: also that will encourage those kinds of terms.
2: Yeah. You always this. You all. And I've, I've in those moments, like caught myself in like, broken. I know. I you just like, can't always, you can't you always. It really? <laughs> you can't always. You can't everyone. You can't like those things. Don't, that's not true. Stop it. <laughs> um, it is. It's like relearning how to speak. A lot of times, in many ways, because there's so many of these black and white terms out there. Um, Jerome, do you do you use black and white terms?
1: Yeah, I was. I mentioned uh, usually when I'm in a highly emotional state, um, and then yes, I'll catch myself and um, pretty much have a conversation with myself that whatever you just said is completely false. And usually, being in an emotional state, um, it kind of uh, I lose validity in whatever I'm saying uh, because of the fact that again there is no exact you know answer to that
2: um there, we, there's a tool that we are going to share with you guys to help with this black and white like when you're when you're using these polarity terms let's try to think of a few more terms that are pulled that, that put us in that polar state that black and white state if you guys can think of any um otherwise I'm, well I'm always and never that. is a good one always and never. That's, I mean, very common. Yeah. Everyone and no one is, right? Because um, that's, I mean, those are black and white, aren't they? <laughs> um, forever, yeah. forever, and never. That's another, right? Um, I'm just thinking of here, I'm also pulling up some, maybe, I hope. Bad and good. I mean, that's, What's, so what's an in between? That's a fun game. So what's what's the middle? We'll do this. That's what this is the so this is the tool we're going to share with you guys. It's kind of a scaling tool. Alisa, do you want to explain what scaling is? Like what the the one to ten scale kind of yeah. So
3: a lot of it can be used. This tool can be used in all kinds of different arenas. Words can be in place of numbers. Um, it is definitely flexible and really helpful. So when we use a scale from 1 to 10, 1 to 10 is best, or 1 to 10 to worst, um, you kind of set that parameter. Oh, And in that 1 to 10, let's say 1 to 10 is best, the client is saying, well, in this place, I'm feeling about a 4, and I'm stuck, and I can't really think of anything else. Um, I might say, so if we just took it from 4, to 4.1 or 4.5 what would that look like if you could just take it that half a step and oftentimes that will open up the conversation whereas in the same concept of that scaling we can do always and never
2: where do you fall into that what's the opposite well, that's, that? that's what I wanted so here's the thought um to play a little game too while we do this Always and never. What's the middle way, ground of always and never? Sometimes. Sometimes. So we put that right in the middle. So always, never, sometimes. And then you can sort of scale in there. Um I can, I was the way that I saw this really quick. I'm gonna whiteboard it. You guys want to whiteboard for a second? Yes. Yeah.
1: While you're pulling that up, Sue says she never uses absolute terms. Ever. <laughs>
2: never, ever, ever, <laughs> ever, ever. ever. <laughs> Nicely done, Sue. Nicely done. <laughs> Never another ever. word an, another phrase that, that isn't i mean it may not be black and white it is a little ambiguous but it's because it's ambiguous that it's dangerous better better is a word that i don't necessarily isn't always better right mm-hmm. <laughs> um can you guys see the whiteboard yes. yes okay so um what's funny is i don't have my normal tools on this it's, i only have my pen where are my where are my whiteboard tools uh that's okay so um, if we have always hopefully i can write nicely no, I can't. <laughs> Hold on. I think if I do cursive, I might be able to. Oh my goodness, this is not easy to write. Where's the typing? <laughs> and never. And then the Always. middle of a write sometimes. <laughs> okay. You but you would basically put tick marks <laughs> here. And then you can put like, you know. Here, here, and here, and then I can go. Okay, it's not always. It's not never. Okay, it's more like here-ish. That's about where I'm at. <laughs> you know, um, it's like one of those uh, the scaling things that you use in it when you when you're taking quizzes and things like that. Why didn't the black? We need to fix that. <laughs>
3: The there. Nothing. So imagine how you can use that. You find out from the client, where is it that they want to go? What is it supporting that place where they're at? What if that changed? How would they like it to change? So that's when you open up those beginning questions that start opening up so that when the client starts finding their answers, they can find their pivot in that moment to the new direction, the new experiment so
2: quickly i, I want to one thing we haven't really covered is why is it dangerous potentially to be in black and white thinking or why why don't we want to always be in black and white what is the consequences of not seeing the gray the middle ground um, um to start i mean we it if there's any any time that we have huge polarity with like you know stereotyping right Stereotyping is a form of black and white thinking. And what does that do? Is it makes your world smaller. It makes you um not experience things that you may otherwise have experienced, uh, that, that could be fantastic. You know, you, you could be meeting these amazing people, but because you live by a stereotype um and don't give that a person a chance, you're missing out on a huge opportunity. Um,
3: so it stops things, it prevents things that could have um influenced you in a way that you had
2: found your growth also people who can't forgive a lot of times are stuck in a black and white thinking space right um because a big part of forgiveness is being able to see all sides
1: i think one of the biggest things you lose is the ability to learn um which again as you mentioned brooke is is and cutting off a part of your life
3: and forgiveness also tends to be more hurtful if i'm not forgiving it's going to be more hurtful to me because i'm stuck in that unforgiving emotion excuse me whereas we typically think it's we're in that unforgiving place that we're hurting and we're trying to hurt the other person and that's not growth being what? forgiving has the ability to have growth now forgiving some people get confused It doesn't mean that you have to accept something that's not good for you no but what we don't want is for you to feel um and that again, for me what i don't want is to be stuck in feeling that anxiety and that sadness and that angst what are you going to say brooke
2: Oh, I was just going to say, well, we, and when we don't forgive, it it's really only damaging ourselves in our world and our and we're not moving forward from that situation. So, um, once with regard to, well, I'm uh, more on why any other reason why black and gray thinking is, is not all or black and white thinking is not always good.
3: Um, I mean, I think the the obvious as we've been speaking about, it keeps you stuck. And it doesn't allow another person's perspective to be um, valid.
2: In business, it can also keep you from maybe going towards opportunities that you yeah. you could, could be presenting themselves or possibilities. Maybe you think that, you know, oh, that, that's not possible. I can't do that. Right. I can't. Let's say COVID. If I was a business that was like, no, we could never go virtual. We could never. Oh my we, if we did that, we wouldn't have a business right now. So it was by virtue of us being open to possibility that we were able to switch to virtual and um had we been in a in-person mindset and been refused to move out of that, we would probably wouldn't be where we are right now, right yeah exactly exactly. And that's tough. a lot of business owners will get stuck doing the same thing, right and uh, it can make it a little, getting getting your client let's say your client is 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 somebody who wants you know wants to get into motion this is the kind of questioning where you might be able to open them up to more possibility right um with regard to that so any other i want to flip the coin because i don't want us to be black and white here and and talk about times in black and white can be good (laughs)
1: yeah well i think uh one that really sticks out is, is when you're setting boundaries, um, when you know this is a line that absolutely should, should never be crossed. Mm-hmm. Um, that is when you can use black and white, I think, effectively, and it can. It, it's a healthy way to use it.
2: Rigid boundaries, yeah. G- example of a rigid boundary. Nobody can hit me. Yeah. But unless I get in a boxing ring and I've chosen to be hit <laughs> at that point, okay, let's do it. <laughs> um, but I, I mean outside the world that's a strong no right that is an absolute um yeah. and that's okay uh that would be harm to self, you know harm to self or
3: others that concept we're not talking about when we choose to play in a different arena um but harm to self or others is a definite boundary violation <clears throat> we're still we got 2020 going on and we still have this concept going on anyway so when a person decides that they want to make that change, right? What's next?
2: Mm-hmm. Are you asking? Yeah. What? So next? when they want to make that change from from I'm setting a boundary to, yeah. to well, I mean it depends on the situation and it depends on 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 what that what it is that they and it's up to them, right? <laughs> That's the answer. If it's, really, it's up to them.
3: It's mm-hmm. not up to me what I think is right and what I think is appropriate and what I think. Mm-hmm. Um, if it goes beyond my moral, like you were mentioning earlier, then that's something I have to I have to own. But for the most part, when I'm working with clients, myself, myself checks at the door when I cross that because I was the in-person coach. When I cross the threshold to my office, mm-hmm, I'm out there, and all of this is neutral territory.
2: So that and that dovetails into our what we, the last thing we wanted to talk about, which is which is really it brings us back to not being attached to outcomes. It brings us back to trusting the client, right? And trusting the process. Uh this is something that we say all the time here is trust the process. Yeah. Trust I mean everything happens for a reason. Well, it's okay. Be in the moment, trust the process, don't be attached to the, the outcome because you could miss something amazing by being attached to the outcome. Um, but go ahead. Another positive way to even
3: look at that is the word where we tend to use these days is mindfulness. It's to be mindful of who you are, what you're doing, and how you want to be presented in the world. When you're in a conundrum, that's when the coach helps you find out what that answer is. Break through glass ceilings, uh, find your words, practice communication skills uh, interact with patients better. I mean, on down that list.
2: I want to really, okay. So mindfulness, and this is maybe it's probably a me thing. And this is probably just me being selfish. Um, but I want to define mindfulness because I think that, that there's so many nuances that can get lost in the definition, um, because it can, it can mean a lot. um, I, when I first, first presented with the word mindfulness, uh, I I really hadn't used it or thought of it or, but it was presented to me as um, being in the moment, like being present and actually being present, not being in your head, not being, you know, thinking about all these, but being capable of checking everything else and just being in the moment. And that was how mindfulness was first presented to me. Uh, Would you guys agree? Yeah
3: for me, that's what it is, is being centered, being um, another word, even keel, where life is not affecting me. I have the resilience. I'm in the strength of who I am um, and totally just being present for the moment. Um,
2: How do we, how do we, when when our minds are racing and we're with our client or we've got, you know, 15 things going on, how, are there any tools or techniques or anything that you guys have done to go, okay, I got to be mindful right now. I'm taking off the the everything else hat, putting on the coach hat. I just got to be present. Do you guys have any tools that you
3: use? So back when I, so back 2011 was when I started this process of working with couples and I was pretty nervous about it. So for me, being in my head is a kind of a natural state where I overthink things. And so what I would do is I would just jot things down I I am a note taker. I'll just jot words here and there on a paper. on a paper, but on my paper, there was always a margin and I would just jot things down in that margin so I can let it go because I have that, I have the belief that when I jot things down, I can release it till later when I need to work on it.
2: That's, that's actually, I mean, again, ADHD. So, uh, Cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so all through school, I I had my head down and I was drawing and taking notes, like unless I was you know, actively, because otherwise I was distracted by everything else around me. So it was, if I was drawing and taking notes, I could sit in the class and I'd be okay. Otherwise it was almost impossible. Um, and then uh, the same extended to, I used to have insomnia and I'd have like right before bed, the brain would just go, or I'd wake up, I'd fall asleep and wake up and the brain would go. And the single greatest tool I ever discovered was just making a list, like listing out everything that was going on in my head. Um, And then by virtue of knowing that it was on the paper, I could stop worrying about it in my head and it worked wonderfully. Um, uh, That, I mean, that just is a miracle. I had, there's also a technique I use when I meditate. It's called a basket. <laughs> um, because there's a lot of distraction that can happen, like, you know, lawnmowers. And when you're first starting out meditating, it can be very easy to like start to pay attention to all those things, but or th- worry what you're worrying about. And um one of the it meditating period helps me with focus. It does my days are better when I meditate. But if in that meditation state, I have a basket and I will put the worries <laughs> into the bat, it's a basket or a shelf. I will put them on there and I will know that they're there. And you know by virtue of just putting them in there and visualizing that happening it will it would stop the worrying about it or the thinking about it when i meditate too quite a bit so for me
1: if um and i, I think this is a little unique um, in comparison to what you guys just shared um i try to enhance my senses so i try to feel rather than think so if i feel like i'm too much into my head i'll step outside um hopefully you know hopefully there's a sun there's some sunshine out there that I can allow to hit myself or if it's cold, even then, you know, that, that allows me to feel and um, again, tap into a state of mindfulness and being rather than overthinking and sometimes allowing yourself to be stuck. That kind of shifts things for me enough to get out of that place of stuckness and allows me to. A
2: sensory moment.
1: moment. Yes, <laughs>
2: Yes. I totally get that. I totally get that. I mean that's a those are like really good moments too. Those like yeah. okay, a breath of fresh air, like oh
3: fraction, <laughs> well, the a the change of scenery, all of that. Well, that can that that's why sometimes when we have um a stuck moment waiting till tomorrow, sometimes it's even a benefit mm-hmm. because it's it oh, a different
2: perspective. because you you do so much processing in your sleep. Your brain does so much processing in its sleep, it's mm-hmm. it's almost imperative that you sleep on it. Yeah. Um yeah my question is well something i want to talk about also is is we have a lot of students in class that are um they i don't even think they realize they, they're doing it but they're having trouble being mindful because they're worrying about having the right question and this kind of this is right and wrong we've been talking about black and white having the right question being mindful <laughs> so this kind of all works together um There is no such thing as the perfect right question. Uh, Mind you, you might ask a question that feels perfect or right, but that doesn't mean that another one may not have been the same. It's not about the question, you know, uh, right? Does that make sense or I I figured Lisa- Yeah, yeah.
3: I mean, (laughs) we are asking questions. We are trying to help the client get to a better perspective, whatever that perspective is that they want and need to be going through the questions are important because you have been mindful <laughs> and paying attention and, and interacting with the client when you trust yourself and the process kind of goes back to what we said a few minutes ago those questions will bubble up and be what the client
2: and it's trusting probably pardon. it's trusting that the client is going to give you those questions like they the, are it, yeah, you don't need to come in with them locked and loaded and ready to go. It's that by listening and being mindful and being present with the client, you will the client will present you with the right questions. Like that, they will show you what the right questions are. The right questions, just like when you're
3: with your friends and you're interacting with your friends. Although we tend to tell advice more when we're with our friends, that's the piece we're keeping back. Or not pay attention to them,
2: you know, either way. (laughs) Not about me, more about me. (laughs) (laughs) So
3: the, the idea is to become from that same comfort that you are with your friends in with the client and paying attention and that listening to what they're saying. And we've got the tool as you, some of you have, can, have come to our level one class, a tool that works amazing, um, and you just blend it with your question. And sometimes, not having the question, ask, tell me what the perfect question is here, can be an amazing eye opener for the client because they'll tell you what that question. I used it with my grandchild the other day. I go, "What's the perfect question to ask here?" And she told me, like she's four years old. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Well, and that's that goes back to the client I has all they have all the questions they have all the answers they have everything they the client comes equipped with everything like they are not lacking anything when they walk through the door what they are what they're if they are lacking anything it's a space that they can that they can process through what Absolutely. they already know and
3: have yeah, they they don't have the space to unfold typically in their own world um, I was meeting with someone yesterday. And she was speaking about how we women tend to always overbook ourselves. You know, we overextend ourselves. We continue, well, men too. I'm not, but I was talking with a woman. So please know that you can say men. <laughs> um, and that we have a tendency as a human to overbook ourselves, to overthink, to overfunction, to over, over, over. And this is a place when we're working with that client that we can just go take that breath find that space as a client and unfold the directions we need to be moving towards or potentially find what that is that we've been holding on. Every time you hear a client, oh, I didn't even know I was thinking that. (laughs) When you give them that space? Yeah.
2: Um, And it's, I mean, really, I think that that's, I I mean, one thing that, it was something I was writing in class not too long ago. And it was, I, I started out with trust the client and I started with trust the process and then I went trust yourself and but ultimately it all comes back to at the end of the day trust the client and I mean trust the client and trust the process because both work and it's tried and true. Um and if you're a coach and you have those two trusts then then it will all sort of fall together. So you don't need a list of questions or um in, now I do want to say one of my favorite tools that is uh it's it's the mirroring um and somebody what I'm hearing you say and then saying that back to somebody and that's not even a question it's just in my it's it's it, is this what I'm am I hearing this correctly um uh very powerful and then silence the power sometimes not having the question and just letting it be quiet for an extra minute there have been so many times where I was like I gotta fill the void or something and this, but but then there's an extra pause I feel uncomfortable but then they start talking again and it's Oh, okay. Ooh, look at that. Most of the time, the client will fill the silence if there is silence, right? They've got
3: something going on usually. You can tell by their body language that they're
2: not just sitting there.
3: <laughs> yeah. Tell, yeah.
2: Well, they, and i um, well, I, I <laughs> sometimes just being quiet is, I mean, you don't have to ask a question. Like it's, it's because they'll ask it of themselves and they'll start to process. So they're, they're sharing the stop and the pause and then they start to do it again. And it's, I mean, it's a very cool, Silence is a very powerful thing. <laughs> um, Jerome? I feel like you haven't said anything in a minute.
1: leaving <laughs> it up to the coaches to discuss.
2: You're a coach? Oh, don't well, even. You are a practicing coach. Practicing
1: coaches, I should say. <laughs> I can uh, attest to the facts that uh, we guys are speaking about just sitting in the silence as being an answer is Something that I think um, really is—I is, mean, again, speaking about being stressed on having the right or wrong answer, just being able to not say something and being okay with that is—it's is, it's an extremely powerful uh, space for the client. Um, I, it was,
3: it was, and we just experimented with it just this second.
1: Yes, so you
2: were
3: exactly. And built exactly. in the space. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, uh admitting class, is something that I see um, over the course of usually during our level one classes. Um, it's a space for a lot of coaches who are learning to, to be coaches. Um, uncomfortable, very uncomfortable, and they feel it's their job. They have to do this because uh, it's what they paid me to do, right? You know, I'm supposed to speak back to them. But again, just as it just occurred just now, there's so much power in letting the person you're speaking to, your client, um, formulate their thoughts in that that space of quietness and allow you know them to go ahead and reciprocate.
2: I, and I just interrupted. I just ran yeah. right over him. I'm You're terrible. totally fine. I'm fired. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what's funny is I, this was actually, I just did a podcast recently. And um, what was weird is they edited out the pauses. And I think if you're trying to get like the max amount of content in the podcast but listening back to it I felt a little uncomfortable because I was like there should be pauses <laughs> um and I'm already somebody who talks so fast so it's it was it's those pauses those moments of like ah, and quiet can be very very not only powerful but important um it's a breathing moment it's like it's a moment for us to process and sort of like you said your process and just sort of formulate the thoughts and the words and the, um, a lot of times we don't get that opportunity because there's something ringing or screaming or, you know, uh, who knows. And so we don't get that pause. So maybe that's just what your client needs is, is the chance to be able to pause. Um, I think the big key takeaway though is trust that the client has everything you need as a coach, right? If you've been trained, you've got the tools, you know what they are. You're the, you should be, you're good. <laughs> yeah. We're not talking about
3: needing to send out a life preserver. We're not talking about needing to learn, you know, things that help um, navigate the world, you know, being able to write, well, we don't write checks anymore, but it's, you know, being able to do those kinds of things. We're, we're talking about in a place where a person's ready to grow and shift no matter where they are.
2: All of these skills apply really beautifully. I also think it's important to mention, though, that we say that the skills that you have as a coach—you've caught this—is for coaches who have gone through training. What we, you, they exist in you. You know them. You understand them. You have them. So you don't need to take a list or worry about them being right or wrong. But that foundational skill set is important. Knowing what being a coach is is important, and 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 practicing. We provide a lot of questions. Like we're saying, the questions are you know just not you don't have the questions in front of you. That's not because those open-ended questions; those questions aren't important. It's that you have learned them, you have trained yourself in them, you know them inside of you now. They're by taking class, they become a uh, like a muscle, like you know something you can access and use. Um, and so trust that just like I trust that my pinky or my finger is here and will always work. Uh, until I chop it off or something it's a similar thing though trust that that your coach finger is there Uh, you can pull the trigger whenever you want um because you developed it (laughs) it makes sense right I mean that was an interesting analogy but I mean because I've used my fingers enough times that I I know it's there and I know how to bend it I don't have to think about it But that's the kind of thing you have to practice in order
3: to practice, just like when you learn back in the day, if you learned how to ride a bike, you practice to ride that bike, you practice, you practice, you practice to now you don't even think about it. One of the things I did to build the skill of asking deeper questions, I had this one book that for some reason, drew that out of me, the different questions. And so I just started keeping a journal of powerful questions. Um, I had a little cheat sheet back in the early days because I would get nervous. Um, I would put, jot down the beginning of an opening question. Um, we say opening question, but not all opening. It's not all about having an open-ended question. There's small amounts that need to be closed-ended questions. But it's being having that confidence that you are there, that you're open, I like that word vulnerable, not Achilles' heel, but open, vulnerable, ready for the flow of a session. That means you're going to be present or mindful <laughs> in the in the process of what your client is saying and wanting to grow towards.
2: Mm-hmm. Before we, so we're gonna, it's we're getting to the towards the end of our live here, um, and uh, before we do get to the end, and I've got a little PSA at the end too for us um, as well. We're going to, you guys want to play a quick game? Do you want to play okay. a game with me? Will you play Always
1: game me? for a game.
2: So <laughs> yeah, I'm going to put a minute on the clock here. A minute? Uh, oh gosh. So it we, it's okay. It's, so this is, a, we were just talking about, we, you know, we can do black and white. We kind of done that, right? So how many, <laughs> in one minute, one minute, I'll give you guys one and a half minutes. <laughs> one and a half because it's a longer thing. And then go, if anybody out there is watching, you guys, you can put them in put the comment box and Let we'll, we'll read them out. So um, how many, in a minute and a half, how many open-ended questions can you think of? Oh, you want to say it out loud? Yeah, Say it out loud, sorry, now. tell me more.
3: <laughs> how was
1: your, your day is a great one.
3: Share with me.
1: Um, What went wrong?
2: Oh, well is wrong, is thats is that open-ended?
1: Well oh well I'm assuming if somebody told how me. How does it make it you bad,
2: feel?
1: <laughs> yes, there you go.
3: How do you want the outcome to be? Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Which direction are you planning on heading? Mm.
3: Nice. Uh, yeah. It's still a yes or no kind of answer, yeah. but that does give you a direction so you know how to follow up with it.
2: Is, so, is there a way to make that is that to make that yeah. open? Um yeah. How do you feel about this um well that i mean how do you feel about this is open that's open yeah that's open it is which direction are we going which direction are we going Mm -hmm. what would you like to accomplish today
3: Mm -hmm. (laughs) what did you get from today's session
2: there we go (laughs) uh
1: we have sue she said what next
2: what next Uh Mm -hmm. Mm uh-huh
1: Is there anything else you would like to work on? Uh,
2: is there a world th- in which you could see that happening? That's a yes or no, though. So th- but there is a way th- there is. Imagine. Imagine if. There it is. There, there's our minute and a half right there. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Those are some powerful questions for you guys. Uh, the difference being, if I say to Jerome, are you having a good day? I've just already assumed Jerome's having a good day right haven't i this is one of the things as a stickler people go good morning and i go well maybe for you (laughs) um and that's just because i'm i'm saucy but uh um you you would say if i wanted to open ask that open i would say how is your morning um because otherwise if i say good morning i'm being kind of assumptive right
1: that's why i was a little skeptical about um the what direction are we going in next? Because what if they don't want to go in a direction, but they just want to stay. So.
2: Oh, well, that's true. Absolutely. Oh, a lot, well, of the times,
3: <laughs> lot of the times the client will tell you that though, when you have a rapport built with that client and periodically you get a question wrong, it's not that big a deal. Honestly, it's not because what they will do is they'll be in the flow of the conversation. And I go, no, that's not quite it. Right. So then they'll correct what the corrected in the moment with you when you have that going on. If, I, if you were to come in and say, I, I just, I really want a good day, right? You would say, imagine a good day. Share with me what a good day is like.
2: Share with me. Okay. <laughs> no, so we, um, unfortunately we have a, just a few minutes left and I have to, I have a little PSA, a little interesting thing that's going on. Um, Lisa, myself, and Dan Alexa will all be speaking at Coach Talks. Yeah. So we're going to be at Coach Talks, which is a virtual event. Um, So along with Jack Canfield and um, the author of, I can't say it out loud. (laughs) Can we give a first letter and then? Yeah. Yeah. Um, How to un yourself. (laughs) <laughs> um, or uh, yeah I, I think I'm saying that wrong um he will be there on Sunday uh so Dan will be talking on Friday and um uh Lisa and I will be speaking on Sunday and um we we also will be giving away some tickets at some point in all of this um so not this weekend but the following weekend. the following weekend so um next Tuesday we will be giving away some some tickets to coach talks so make sure you tune in Next Tuesday, so that date would be what? What would next Tuesday's date be?
1: Next Tuesday is the
2: 10th. The 10th. So make sure you guys tune in next Tuesday, the 10th of November. We're going to give away some tickets to Coach Talks for you guys so that um, uh, you guys can attend and get to see Jack Canfield Talk, there's going to be a lot of very, um, very beneficial coach tools being given out throughout the weekend. The weekend is the 13th, 14th, and 15th of November. And Lisa and I will be speaking on the 15th. Dan Alexa will be speaking on the 13th. I'll actually be emceeing uh, at least some parts of it, which is kind of cool. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to, to give a quick plug to Coach Talks and us being there and being your sponsor. So yeah, um, as for CLCI Live, thank you guys for watching. Do you guys want to say final thoughts, Lisa? Final
3: thoughts, Jerome? Thank you for being here. We always appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you are our family, and uh, we hope you get through this holiday season as happy as possible. There, I told you what to do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just kind of want to um, Oh. go ahead and co-sign what Brooke said. Uh, Jack Canfield, awesome. I got to get a quick snippet of him speaking uh mm-hmm. last week and he's he's great great motivational speaker and um we want you guys here Tuesday so you can go There's ahead a take
2: takeaway. I got a takeaway from his talk like there is something that that yeah. like resonated with me that is still resonating and do I you will. want to share it really quickly that was the right few like five pages a day and you'll have you know mm, yeah I mean basically 1700 pages at the end of the year that's amazing like why yeah. wouldn't you do that um uh and it seems so tangible. I've shortened it to three. I'm like, I'll do three. Three seems plausible. Um, but uh, that was just so simple in that regard. Really quick, though, there's one thing I, we did not talk about that I wanted to, if we can, in one sentence, if possible. How do you deal when you are, are attached to an outcome and it does not happen? How do you manage? <laughs> what is a tool? What is something we can do to deal with that? And that'll be our sign out. Breathing. Nice.
3: <laughs> I take a walk.
1: All right. go ahead. Yep. I love that, and I kind of want to just say, what are your guys's answers? Um, yeah. Here. Yeah, go yeah. Just drop into the comment box. Uh, you I'll guys? give.
2: I'll give mine. Mine is realizing that I anything that I assume is going to be ha- going to happen as a result of me not getting my way, is an assumption. It's all it, it. It's a total. I have no clue. So it's just me being awfully, you know, presumptuous and conceited at the end of the day, and be like, "Well, I know it's going to go this way because of this, I didn't." And that's not true. I don't know anything.
1: So me, um, <laughs> I, I just consider the fact that that isn't the end of the world. Um, there's other options that are available to me that I can embark on. So I just remind myself, "Well, it's not over. Days. Day's not even done." Sometimes. So. Continue. And tomorrow
2: is a different day. Exactly. and Exactly. And we can't let one thing define us, right? Mm-hmm. So, words to live by as we sign off. Thank you guys for watching. Make sure you share. Make sure you comment. Make sure you, you check out Certified Life Coach Institute, and also check out Coach Talks too. We'll be talking about it. um And that's it. That's all we got. Thank you guys so much. Have a wonderful one today.
3: Thank
0: you. Bye. <laughs> hey everyone. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Once again, this is brought to you by Certified Life Coach Institute. We're an ICF accredited school who certifies our life coaches in three-day online intensive courses. In addition to other podcast episodes, feel free to check us out every Tuesday at four o'clock PM Pacific Standard Time on YouTube or Facebook for our CLCI lives where we get together and discuss various topics that are centered around sharpening your skills so you can become a better certified life coach. For more information, feel free to visit us at certifiedlifecoachinstitute.com. Until next time, be well.